listening to The Game is Afoot. We are back again with my dearest friend, Derek, who I have been best friends with since eighth grade. Derek, why don't you introduce yourself with your pronouns as well as your character with your character's pronouns? Excellent. Yes, Derek, he, him, his, and then Millie, she, her, hers. Great. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about making Millie the character? Millie's a very interesting character. So, you know, we've played a little bit of D&D in our times. I'm oh, just yeah. going to say it. I mean, it's been a while for me. It's probably been eight years or so since I've actually picked it up. So fifth edition was very different, but I love where it's going. Um, and so originally I was planning to do this coming of age story, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, it kind of gets a little boring to play those characters. I want to play something different. And... Maybe it's because subconsciously I've been watching a lot of Miyazaki and like Howl's Moving Castle has been playing in the background or something like a few months ago and maybe it finally sunk into my subconscious enough. But I was like, you know, it's not like you get older and you stop adventuring, you start stop doing these things. So I just was like, I really want to play an older character where you're not just hack and slash. Like, because Millie's not going to be able to hack and slash, you know, we're using aging rules from 3.5 and you know 3.5 is a little rough for anyone who hasn't played it so what ends up being is when you get to a vulnerable age and I chose a random number too to like she's 72 is what I have her at and that makes her vulnerable so it ends up being like minus six to all your like health stats is what you know strength dexterity constitution and then plus three to all charisma wisdom intelligence so you really need to play that up so it's a really different character for me to play and a very uncomfortable in a way just because it's going to require a lot more on the fly thinking a lot more deception a lot more um insight and that type of stuff compared to just being like i'm gonna hack and slash my way out of this because you know at level one especially it's like i think my character has eight hit points and i'm like she ain't gonna take much (laughs) she's gonna get destroyed so you're gonna have to like really play up more of that storytelling aspect and i think as I've become a more refined player and as I've become a more, as I've aged myself, I feel like I'm more interested in the story and not just being like, we're going to run around. We're going to loot, hack, slash, and do all that. So it's just a different character. And I think it's something fun. It's, and I don't ever play rogues. So I thought it'd be great to play someone who also didn't come from like a 72, you become a rogue. You don't just wake up in the morning going, I'm going to start stealing stuff and become a badass at 72. So it just really created a rich tapestry of just to pull from Mm -hmm. and kind of just making stuff up as we go and on the fly. I love her so much. And I love how you were like, Oh, but I also got into all of this other shit growing up so that it would make sense that she might steal a thing now and then to kind of like relive her youth a little bit, or maybe just because she's old and bored. Well, she had to meet her husband somehow, so I like to believe that they met, you know, like, maybe she tried to steal from him, but he's a mafia, like, le- like you know, so he probably caught her, and then they, like, fell in love and did all this stuff. I don't view the character as ever having kids and making that conscious decision not to, because why would you want to raise a kid mm-hmm. in this atmosphere? So I think that's a very conscious decision that was made. It wasn't a, oh, you're infertile, or not. It's just, like, that was a conscious decision that was made between her and her husband to be, like, we're not going to have kids because of the line of work we do. And the idea of, you know, someone kidnapping your child and killing them is just too much for them. So they made that very conscious decision of, like, we're not going to have kids, and that's just how it's going to be. And then, yeah, it's kind of fun when you have 72 years worth of life, essentially, to create your character background. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, well, is, the, is, your, is your husband still alive? For her, her husband's passed. It's been three years 
and now she has this cat who's named the exact same name, William. And so it's kind of fun to have so much to pull from. And at the same time, you can just be like, in my day, and really you can just say whatever you want because it doesn't really, <laughs> you, you have a lot of years to go from. Mm-hmm. And you can also be like, what are your vices? What are your this? So playing older characters allows for a very rich experience of just like that background story that unfortunately we really don't get to talk about. And I think when you're playing in your younger years, I mean, we all had background stories. We're all sitting around the table, but it doesn't really come into play. Like 14 page long backstories. Exactly. (laughs) And they're great and they enrich the character, but I think it makes it very hard when you're like, my character just became an adult. It's like, okay, so you have, of course, childhood trauma. Um, We all have it, unfortunately, in some degree. And I think, you know, I like to believe that's getting better with parenting in our current situation. But, you know, but you're really pulling from a very limited list of things. You're like, okay, you've lived for 18 years. What's the worst that's happened to you? But you still have so much more life for this character to, like, live out. And so you're kind of like, okay, but we're, when you're like, I'm 72, it's like, yes, do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, love, I love that, and I love her, and I love that she uses knitting needles in her crossbow. It still makes me happy. I just can't imagine her being, you know, hand-to-hand combat. So, yes, the crossbow knitting needle thing was definitely something that I asked, of course, and Ryan was like, absolutely. And I'm like, it makes sense. She's going to knit when she's, you know, sitting around not doing anything. She's going to do all these things. And I can't imagine her being like, I'm going to run into battle. Like I joked around, I think, in the episode, it's like, she put probably in reality, you know, I think most characters, it's like 30 feet per turn. You can move six squares if you're playing with a mat out. And with her, I'd be like, if I was in that situation, I'd probably be like, you're moving like two, you're older, you're not like zipping around. And I didn't want her to be a zipping around. Like she's an older assassin who's in great shape. I was like, no, I want her to be, you know, like she's lived a good life. She loves her wine. She's, you know, a little bit heavier and that's okay. Yeah. Like there's no, you know what I mean? Like she's lived a life and now she's at that point in her years where she's like, I'm going to enjoy my vices. I'm not going to stop drinking anytime soon. I'm not going to stop smoking. I'm not going to stop, like, she's going to enjoy her vices when she wants them, if she wants them. And, you know, that's great. And I love that about this character. I'm actually a big fan of this character, and I'm excited to see where it goes, because it's going to be a very interesting ride. Yeah, I'm already <laughs> excited to have you back. Um, I have to get through a whole list of people on Twitter, because I, when I hit, I think it was 500 followers, I put up this uh, giveaway where it was like, like and retweet and tell me who you want on this show and you can win a free set of dice um so i've got a lot of names i gotta get through before i start reusing guests but that's okay very you know, I'm excited. Around. <laughs> um, and i mentioned i don't know if i mentioned this to you but i've mentioned it to some other people whenever you come back you get to level up once yes uh so that it was hard killing that giant rat okay like <laughs> We have to remember, she's like half a bottle of wine down, <laughs> misses the first two shots probably because A, she can't see what's going on, B, I bet you that counter was high, I bet you she could barely see over the counter, <laughs> and then she put her crossbow away because she's feigning ignorance of like, I didn't shoot at these teenage girls, I don't know what you're talking about, and then she literally like whips out this thing, hits it, deals seven damage like a badass, and then drops the thing and is like, well slightly inebriated so i mean you know it's kind of like this (laughs) you go by the general hp in the rule book giant rats have seven hp exactly (laughs) oh my god so good 
So, um, I mean, it was kind of like one of those magical moments when you're playing D&D and, like, something happens, you're like, yes! And then, chick moment. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when did you start playing tabletop games? It doesn't have to be D&D. Um, tabletop games started when I was, oh gosh, I was living in California, and that's where I really started dabbling in D&D. Uh, 3.5 had just come out, like, that's when I entered the scene. I 3.0 I've looked at now, and I mean, gosh, if you ever want to see how far things are, like, how more rich and diverse, like, classes are, go back a few editions, and even looking at 3, it's like, what is it? One of them, I think Ranger only has, like, favored enemy, or, like, combat style or something. It's like, every five levels you get something, and everything else, it's like that's it nothing at, like you're just going to be a really cool weapons master who has some agile and you're just like and now ranger is like super especially in fifth edition i was looking at it and it's like super rich super like you have all these things you have all these you can have two rangers in the same in the party and it can be totally different which i think is beautiful change of D is that now you could have different you could be like you don't have to argue over class mm-hmm. or say like well i wanted to play the cleric which no one wants to play the cleric but i always mostly played a cleric or a bard um but now you can have two clerics and be like, well, I'm going to focus on combat and you can focus on healing and blah, blah. So it really creates a more diverse and kind of almost got rid of prestige classes in a way because prestige classes were meant to make your character more diverse within that same general idea. But, but I'm sure there are prestige classes. Like I said, I haven't looked at 5th edition, but I'm sure if I continue looking at it, it'll be very interesting. But to answer your question, because I just went into a circle here, I'm I sorry. tirades. Go for it. Um... I started when I was, let's see, well, I moved up in the eighth grade, so that would make me around, like, 12 or 13 at the time, so a few years before that, so probably, like, 11, 12, like, I had just, you know, my friends and I played a little bit, I mean, of course, as well as 11 and 12-year-olds can really play D&D, <laughs> um, and it's, because, yeah, I remember having the books moving up here and, like, reading them on the drive. I mean, if you've ever driven from California to Washington, it's a long time, everyone. I think it was 18 hours or more. Um, but I remember reading the Player's Handbook and just flipping through it and just being completely engrossed in it. And I think it really contributes to, like, how it helped me grow up in a way that I wouldn't have expected otherwise. Like, it really gave me an outlet. Um to just be who you want to be regardless of everything else. Cause really you can be whatever you want to in D and D. And I think that's just a really beautiful thing about tabletop role playing is it really lets you escape not only the real world so we can stop doom scrolling. Cause you know, oh. we all do it unfortunately, but it kind of lets you escape into those books that you read as a kid um, and be th- whatever it is. I mean, there's so many different tabletops now, but you know, for me, fantasy, it's like, it lets you kind of escape into that world and be whoever you want to be. And I think that's just, beautiful and so I'm very glad that I stumbled into it literally um at that age range and then dragged everyone else with me because yes. <laughs> I dragged you guys into it I uh, went so willingly I know I didn't really drag you you kind of were like we okay I'm coming and skipped along into D&D exactly <laughs> exactly exactly was was fourth edition kind of a slog to you because fourth edition just was not my thing it was for me. I mean, because we only played fourth. Fourth was where we kind of left off right before five. I mean, the last game I played was fourth edition. It would just come out. And I think it, like like everything in the creative process of creating a game or anything in life, fourth edition was like that 
this is what I have now and I need to see like what it is. And then when you revisit and you kind of refine it, fifth edition is the refined of fourth, obviously. Um, cause it did, it kind of, it was very bogged down, you know, cause, and once again, I'd have to look, but remember abilities had like how many times per day you could use them. Like everything did all abilities within your class. If you had something, it was like once per day, you can do this. And you're like, okay, with spells, I guess that makes sense. But it was really slowing everything down. There were so many rules. And you had to like, keep track of like how many times you use things per day. And I was playing, because I was playing, the last class I was playing was a shaman with a, fiddle, with a fiddly fig or a ficus that just beat the shit out of everything. Um, and it was a great character. I would revisit that character any day. Um, but yeah, I was playing a branch off of a class. But I just remember that having to be like ticking things, being like, okay, I've used that. And then you have to wait for your, now they have short rest and long rest really defined and so fit. much easier so much easier compared to being like okay and then i rest and being like erasing ticks and being like good i can use these things again so yeah i think fourth edition was just that nice little in between of where they wanted to break away from what they were really doing from three 3.5 and then into four they were like here's this because i always look at like 3.5 is like and um what else would it be like forgotten realms i believe mm-hmm. it was like high fantasy is what i'm gonna call it like super high fantasy meaning like it's so intrinsic. It's so intrinsic. It's not the word I'm looking for. It's so um, intuitive. Not intuitive. It's just very like there's a lot of rules. It's mm. very much like you have to know all the ins and outs. Like you have to literally have read involved. the player's handbook. It's involved. Yes, I'm like it starts with an I. I swear. <laughs> um, it's a very involved version, but it's like you know you can only have one of every class, but it's very like you know your druid is your druid, and it's a very flushed out druid, and like here you go and you're, you know, you're barred and you're this. So it's very just, I view it as like, it's when they created too many rules. It's like going from three to 3.5. They're like, here are all these rules. And then of course, um, Forgotten Realms was like, huh, was like the most polished of like 3.5 type playing there could be. Forgotten Realms was like, you guys are making things too hard. Right. And then they said, and then they said, oh, and then they went, they doubled back. And then they said, okay, let's make this easier because it was hard. Like, Nobody wanted to play a wizard. Like, no one, like, who honestly sat down and said, I get nothing but spells. I have to inscribe them into my book. Depending on the level of spell, depends on how many hours I have to spend inscribing it. Like, it was like, you had to, like, the high fantasy nitpickingness of, like, and you have no life. Remember, I think in 5, I noticed that no one has less than a 1d6, like, hit die. Yeah. But remember 1d4? Oh your wizard, God, you no. could spend hours crafting oh, up a I wizard thought it was 1d4 and then literally you could roll and remember you're playing a wizard so maybe you didn't put a lot into constitution which would make sense you have no rolls in constitution and suddenly you're like you roll oh, a Derek, granted I'm having, like war flashbacks i forgot it was right. 1d4 and so you'd have that most let's say like five life because it let's be in all reality that you would have five life and suddenly a stray arrow it wasn't even aimed at you a stray arrow smacks you and you're dead and you're like rip throw the character sheet flip the table burn that's the house down like, exactly and that's why and bard had 1d6 too and you know clerics had like 1d8 or something like that but like you know what i mean like no one wanted to play those spell casters if you were you're going to be a sorcerer and then you didn't dare take a familiar because that's another thing once again a stray arrow at level one kills your cat that was 50 yards away for no reason and suddenly you're like and you die because you lose a level and then you're at zero you're like <laughs> There's no point. I was like, like you couldn't play a wizard unless you were playing. And so, someone came up to you and said, hey, we're starting at level five or we're starting at level four. You know, yeah, you had to be like. we always start at later levels, didn't we? 
because it's so usually it's really boring playing a first level character i mean we can all say i mean monk was another one that was super hard to play and i looked at monk now in five and i'm like not only does it have a lovely avatar twist to it which i love um depending on where you want to go with it but at the same time it's like it's so much nicer even from level one i'm like oh my gosh you can't because monks beforehand it was like i punch something and i'm stuck here with like no armor good luck everyone <laughs> like <laughs> i punched real good you all take care of the rest and your damage i think was still really low at the time like maybe at most 1d6 again so you're like i punch and if you broke their armor through some magic <laughs> and you dealt like six damage you're like that was good high five to me like you couldn't r- go in hit and run and i think you can do that pretty low level now like yeah it was it was tough like you like level one was no joke back then and, and i think to be a, d- a dm and to really like start peel from level one you had to be like very gentle to some characters because you're like these people have put so much time into crafting their character sheet that i don't want to just murder them with a le- with a wolf <laughs> like... yeah yeah absolutely oh my god yeah i just i just had like such intense flashbacks to our high school days of playing D. i know because it was it was so challenging and I love all the stuff that's available now as well like so easy to make encounters and whatnot and tell them what level you want to be like you could there's programs for this now because I remember all the nights you'd be sitting in your room you had your done you would like how do I craft this encounter and like you know we were teenagers and we weren't great at it let's be honest with ourselves but we had fun and it's really about that community and connectedness and all of us who played looking at us now I'm all like we weren't the misfits, but we are definitely, we're all the like outliers of, you know, the heteronormative society, yeah. more or less. And I think I that was also kind of cool. I will say is so much easier in fifth. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that a party of four can handle a challenge rating equal to their level. Right. You being a single player, I knew that if I went over a one quarter challenge rating, I was going to fucking kill you. <laughs> and I'm 72. You would have murdered me. You would have been like, a pack of dire rats appear, and I'd be like, okay, well, this is where Millie dies. Um, <laughs> y'all can have the house. I'm leaving. Oh <laughs> Self-preservation. <laughs> have you tried anything other than D&D? Um, I mean, I know we went through three oh went gosh. Through four different editions. I played, oh, I can't even remember what it's called now. I played it, like, once or twice with a group, and... It's because I played D&D, and they were like, oh my gosh, you'll love this. And it was some weird... I say weird. It's not weird. It's just another style. It's a style of playing that I did not attune to, and the subject matter just wasn't what I connected to. And it's not one of the D&D spoof-offs of, like, you know, Star Wars, mm-hmm. etc. It's not one of those at all. It was one of those ones where it had different game mechanics. And so I've tried other things, but I always circle back around to, like, D&D. It's just... There's just something so refreshing and every time I play and like I said as you become a more mature player um you find something new either you really start because I remember the early days we were all just like hack and slash and heal and everything was about killing the lich at the top of the tower and killing the dragon or the dragon kills you um and And you know (laughs) that's exactly what I was referencing um (laughs) because you did that and it killed you (laughs) you killed it but then it killed you um because it fell on you. Um, your poor paladin. It saved the world and then promptly died. Um, I did get resurrected, though. You did. The, because we the, were hired. The but I there's miss just. You. 
<laughs> I miss you too. Um, but there's just a lot of that where it's just like, it's so well crafted as a game and like story. Like I've become so much more interested in the story and I think D&D does a very well job of being like, and like I was saying, they've even taken out all the, we used 3.5 aging mechanics just because I felt it was more fair than me being like, she's 72 and hasn't aged a day. You know, like having that higher, like I could have crafted her to where it would make sense. But I was like, let me give myself parameters for this. And I couldn't find aging in five. And I don't know if they, I I I don't think there is an aging system in five, but I like that you can take some of those 3.5 mechanics and still kind of make it work in fifth. Right. And they're rough. Like, when I was looking at them, and then I was like, at first I'm like, let's use these, because I knew they existed, because like I said, 3.5 I'm very like familiar with. And then when I was crafting Millie, I literally went, what have you done? Because <laughs> minus, because at first I'm looking and I'm like, oh, minus one at mid-age, minus two at blah, minus three at vulnerable. And I was like, oh my gosh, Derek, this is like minus six. Like, you're going to have to take all these stats and subtract six. And then I had to be real about it. I was like, okay. If I give her a constitution less than 10, this game is going to probably be over real quick with one hit. So I had to, like, start crafting her away to make her a little bit more fortifiable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that thing of, like, when you're crafting a character, especially for if you're playing a single-player campaign like this, you're just like, how do I make this character come alive and active, but how do I also fortify just a little bit? Not that you're changing the system. And I chose human on purpose as well because I knew I was going to have those those minuses, and that way everything got plus one anyways. So when I finally put all the stats in, I was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because <laughs> I think her lowest and is an eight. And you'll be able to bump things up as you level, too. Oh, yeah. And like I said, I think her lowest stat is an eight, and it's in her strength, of course, because I wasn't going to use strength. And I was like... And, I, and remember, to get an eight, it means I put in, like, a 12 or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I put, yeah. I put in a high stat that I could use for something else. I was like, I can't have a strength of four, so <laughs> yeah. here we go. But all those buffs up to like intelligence constitution and charisma really played to my advantage because suddenly i'm like plus three so i could put some of those lower stats into that and be like yes yeah <laughs> still have yeah, really high i think D&D is just making it fucking work i think her intelligence is like a 19 after the human thing because i put like a 15 then i got a plus three and then the plus one i was like she needs this how else is she gonna do her perception yeah. <laughs> not her perception her um her persuasion and stuff, which is actually charisma. But there is a stat in there. Insight, maybe. Insight is intelligence. Um, uh, insight's intelligence. Uh, you've got wisdom for perception. Yes. And then the rest are charisma. Anything like bluff, which bluff doesn't exist. I think deception is bluff now, which yeah. I like. Yeah, they really condense. It's, it's nice. And persuasion I like is better. And I think... Oh, my God. Like there's got... no separate swim stat anymore. And there's nothing for... Yeah, they're just acrobatics. And then they got rid of diplomacy... That was awful. Because diplomacy would only happen in games with us when you're talking to some form of royalty who could just murder you outright. And it was always like... And it'd be somebody who didn't want to roleplay because you're young and you're embarrassed in a way to roleplay. And I think that's very normal for people who are more of the outliers. And, you know, like, we're all just kind of like... We don't want to be too vulnerable. And I think D&D really lets you be a little bit more vulnerable. And kind of, like I said, they let you be whoever you want. And so I think D&D does help you kind of, like, kind of not be afraid to look or sound. Um, I mean, you stupid for the lack of a better term, but, you know, we're all afraid of, like, being embarrassed. And I think it helps you kind of be like, this is a tabletop game. And while we are inversed in a very rich story and a very rich, it's like, nothing bad's going to happen to you if you sound just a little, if you, you know, yeah. if it's not perfect. And I think that was very helpful for me growing up. Um 
but I think it's also just helpful for everyone to just be like, nothing bad's gonna happen to you if you make this, you roll a 20 and then the DM's like, speech, and then you're like, say something, it's like, you still rolled a 20, it doesn't matter how it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to tell me what you're saying, so I know how you to move on. You just have to tell on. me what you're saying, so I can move on. <laughs> exactly, so I know what you're saying, so it helps me inform the story later on, and that's really all of it. So I, people who are definitely perfectionists, or like have that thing where they want everything to be like, exactly how they wanted it, it's kind of like, this is the moment for you to kind of like let go of that. It's almost like someone needs to start D&D therapy. And if it's not a thing, it needs to be a thing because it, I think it has so many other avenues in your life that it can just like piece you into. Cause let me tell you, there are many days working for capitalism <coughs> that, <laughs> um, you kind of go, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, you say something or you like do something you're like, nothing bad like yeah it could have gone better probably at the same time they don't pay me enough um, <laughs> which is if my boss does listen to this because I do work for a small company I'm talking about jobs in general not exactly you but you know like I'm saying it's a generic like universal thought of like you know your time is valuable and at the same time it's like so what did you die no keep it moving <laughs> Do you think playing D&D kind of helped you figure out your identity? Yes. Yes. One word. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> I think it did. I think that D&D really helped me find... I think... I mean, let me preface this with everything of, like... I feel everyone has that thing that helps them find out what who they are in life. But I definitely feel D&D contributed to it, to multiple things. Um, but I feel that D&D really helped me find... Kind of, like, helped... What's a good way of putting this? D&D really helped me kind of accept some things about me and at the same time kind of let me try on other, I'm going to say personas, but let, you know, really let yourself like let your guard down and be vulnerable. For those who don't know, I mostly play female characters, hands down. I don't, I can't even think of the last male character I played. Did you play a male I character when we were in I high don't school? think I've ever played a male character in high school. I always played female characters. Um, I think you're right. And I always have, and I just don't feel comfortable playing male characters, to be brutally honest. Um, I do use he, him, his pronouns in real life. And in real life, what is real? Um, in my life. <laughs> but, um, it's true. But at the same time, I was definitely the more effeminate man. Um, I was, well, it's like, you know, I'm more feminine in that sense. I, it's like, I don't really prescribe to masculinity that much. And so I feel D&D really gave me that place to, like, be that release that feminine energy instead of just holding it back because you grow up and especially in a small town um, we won't name names but in a small town <laughs> and you know there's things that are frowned upon and self-preservation is very important um so there are definitely parts that you bury with that and so I feel like that was the outlet like D&D really was that outlet for me to like be like now I can be as feminine as I want to be because I'm playing a female character yeah and at the same time I don't feel like my own gender identity is exactly like pinpointed you know and by no means saying like while I don't define my gender identity really as like non-binary or anything like that I definitely wouldn't be like you're male or you're female or you're like I definitely feel like I'm me I'm one of those people I'm sorry no you're I'm, a little more uh what am I trying to it's more fluid in fluid. a sense that's what I was trying um, to do with my hands I got it the wave um <laughs> dance major high five um let's <laughs> but 
So for me, I think it really helped me find my, like, really come to accept my gender identity and my, later on, of course, my sexual orientation that went along. Not that they're connected by any means, but, you know, like, you know, being gay in that sense of you want to, if you want to take, if you want to be like, okay, if you want to go from biological, because once again, we just went like this and saying, you know, I don't define my gender, but like being viewed and being, you know, passing as a gay male in that sense, I guess we'll use that terminology to loosely tie it together because once again I think it will help make sense you know it being it took a long time for all that to be like okay growing up in a religious household all that stuff kind of like in our own political climate at the time um still coming off the edge of you know of the AIDS pan uh, excuse me um (laughs) I'm about to use the word pandemic, and then I, like, had a COVID-19 <laughs> smack me in the face. But the AIDS crisis, I mean, like, you know, being born in that time, it's like, of course, you know, families have um, preconceived notions. They are, of course, worried about you. You know, all the stuff in the media, even as we're kids, I mean, like, I remember being maybe, like, four, three or four, and seeing, you know, news about it and everything, and not really knowing, of course hindsight's twenty twenty, um and so like now you can see it and kind of be like seeing how all these things are spoken about and talked about and your own internalized you know homophobia and almost being afraid of yourself mm-hmm. um which i think is more common from our generation than we like to admit and there's still days where you know something will happen and i have to acknowledge that about myself being like whoa like i don't think it's something you fully i feel like sometimes it's like not grief but it's something that you're constantly Every once in a while, it hits you again, and you're like, you have to get over it. And you're kind of like, whoa, and you can, you can name it for what it is, and you're like, that's my internalized homophobia talking. Like, we're not dealing with you. It's like, not today. Push it away. And I think, like I said, I say grief because I think grief works very similarly in that sense when you're grieving anyone. But that's the topic for another time, so we're going to let that go. <laughs> um, I talk for an hour about grief, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> Next interview. But, Next interview, episode two, everyone. We'll circle back around. Um, I but never because really of... put together that you ha- were in a religious household. Hey, folks. I am happy to be on a regular schedule with you again. It's been great looking at these past recordings that I did with Derek, and there's more to come. So hopefully we'll be able to keep on that nice, simple, every first and third Sunday schedule. If you have any questions, please email me at thegameisafoot at gmail.com, or you can also check out the Twitter at TGIA Podcast. Zoe did our theme music. I'll mention that again at the end. But I just, I just want to let you all know that you are appreciated. No matter how big or small my audience is going to be, I appreciate every single one of you. If you ever have content that you want me to try to do, let me know. We'll see if we can't make it happen. I'm still going through the list of suggestions for guests that I got quite some time ago, seeing how many people want to actually come on the show. So I am here for you. Uh, We'll go ahead and pop in an ad for one of our network podcasts and enjoy the rest of the episode. Bye! One time on Sword of Symphonies, our captain played an accordion number for a demon as a backing track to the story the demon was telling him. This one time on Sword of Symphonies, there was a rodeo rider on a giant eagle bird thing, and it was rad. 
She's going to take her jacket and try to put it over the bird's eyes, like create a blindfold. I would once again like to reiterate what could possibly go wrong. This one time on Sword of Symphonies, the crew dug up some buried treasure. No, look at this moss. It's attached to a shovel. <laughs> look, I love all three of you, but Tissa is my favorite. <laughs> my favorite part of Sword of Symphonies is the majesty of the spellcasting. Brilliant carnival. Starlight stars. Flying shark. Knife pain. Fry's bolt. So if you'd like seafaring adventure, a lot of game design talk, music written in-house, and a lot of whatever that was just now, join us every week on Sword of Symphonies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, as you got, it's one of those, I don't know about you, but like growing up, you went to church every Sunday. And then at some point, like you get a little bit older and suddenly things start, you don't go to church as much as a family, but like your parent, like, and to an extent, you know, like my parents are still religious to this day. Um, but, you know, you grow up into that and you just hear, you know, I'm mean, going to call it locker room talk, everyone. And because that's really what I'm going to call it. Um, you hear people use different terminology that is unsavory and can be very offensive and I think we can talk about the reclaiming of words later, but we won't use them for the sake of this podcast. Because <laughs> um, I believe they can be reclaimed, but once again, another time. Um, some unsavory derogatory language towards you. And, you know, even growing up, and I remember flat out when I came out to my mom, um, she was almost like, all these years you're, and technically it's a cousin of mine that we used to live next to, um, called you blank. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't think, I don't know if it was because it hurt her or if she felt like that contributed to my gayness. I never, I didn't try to, I was like, that's your baggage. I have enough of mine. I have enough of my own trauma. I need to work through. We're not touching that. You work through yours. You, I work through mine and we can circle back around. But yeah, so I think I did grow up in a religious household in that sense. And I think, you know, we stopped going to church a lot, but church still makes me fair. It took me a long time to be able to sit and church without feeling like my chest was on fire and really feeling or like itchy. uncomfortable or itchy and really it's a panic attack um we can just call it for what it is I mean the idea that I don't have any for <laughs> devoid of mental health issues is far from the truth um <laughs> you know and that's something you know after I got out of that situation of being around family all the time and really you know got to that point I remember when I messaged you being like I think I'm gay and <laughs> um and really being able to say it to someone else was super helpful. But it's just like going through like my early 20s, as great as they were, everyone, um, was fraught with just working through a lot of like anxiety, panic disorder. Um, there's a hyperventilation disorder that's kind of connected to panic. Sorry, I don't remember the name of it, but, you know, they all get connected and really working through that. And it gave me a very uncon unconventional college experience as well. Um, and that's okay. I did eventually graduate. Um, <laughs> just took me a lot longer. But, and all this is connected. Now back to D&D. Because &D. <laughs> um, we're going to, we can have this whole thing about like, let's talk about Derek's life. Because <laughs> I could, we could have a whole therapy session right here, which I don't mind. Yeah. No, um, these are kind of I, both. Like I'm not bashful about talking about, you know, my own mental health issues. And if you want to use, I don't like to use illness. I like to think, you know. <laughs> For me, and if you like to use mental health illness, that's your decision. Your, but I like to say an issue. It's not really an issue, but like my mental health. Period. There we go. Period on sentence. Yeah. Um, 
my mental health. Yeah, D&D provide that escape when you're trying to figure yourself out and trying to figure out, like, who you really are when you have all these other notions, not only by culture, because, I mean, Will and Grace was the epitome, and um, Fab Five, and... Um, I think there's three... There's three, and I can't... Characters in um, Girls. Exactly. Um, what's the other one? Um, Queer as Folk. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the three... LGBTQ, uh, the L if you can word call was them. out at the time, too. That's true. Um, those are the only ones that you really have to, like, define yourself. Kids have and Steven I, Universe now, and I, it, I'm so happy. They have so much more. And I'm the very Owl House? Mm-hmm. Ugh. They have so much more, and there's so many more, just, like, I think we're... Our visibility within media in general is getting so much better and it's just being sprinkled in. It's no longer being, and yes, our socials are using it as a trope, but you know, now people are just, they're gay. They're not coming out in an episode. They don't have their own episode about it. Like we're finally getting to that point where we can just sprinkle them in and be like, oh, they're gay. And like, not even discuss it. Not even be like, you're getting, there's no shock. Just be like, oh, cool. You're both like, and I'm just like, this is the media we've needed the entire time. And I think it's unfortunate that a lot of great artists and creators and everything, especially during the AIDS crisis. I mean, I like how people are like, this is new. These gender identities and queerness and sexual orientations. You guys are all just like, our society is going to hell in a hammock. I'm like, no, a lot of people die. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I don't mean to laugh as it's funny, but I mean, like, I just find their disbelief to not be able to put two and two together. It's like, no, a lot of people died. Died. They're not here. You don't see it in, the, in your generation because they died. Or they're like, still good, closeted. Or they're still closeted or et cetera. Like there's just, you know, there's so much to that where it's, this is not something new. This is something that's always been. It's just where our generation, especially the generations coming up after us are, have so less, it's still stigmatized in different regions, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you have so much more visibility now. And we have more language. And we have more language. Gender queer, gender neutral were not things that we were ever aware of when we were in high school even pansexual demisexual yeah um like there's so much more language and i think that's something really beautiful about the community in general and just about society those of us who believe and prescribe to actually forwarding society anyways topic another time uh i think that's just something really beautiful is that we've created language for people because i remember talking to acquaintances and us just kind of compare I don't want to say comparing identities but kind of just almost trying to explain who we are in language and not having the right words mm-hmm. I remember talking to somebody saying I'm really romantically attracted to women but I'm only sexually attracted to men but I'm not romantically attracted to men and not to and so they're really trying to figure out like they're like I don't feel like I really fit a certain identity and so there's just a lot of that where it's like your own life is a little bit more um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's just a lot more. There's just a lot more vocabulary. Uh, what What are your preferred like artistic mediums or disciplines or what have you? Um, so in college, I studied music, and then I stopped doing that, and then I studied dance, and then I graduated with a dance degree. Um, parents are proud, as you can guess. Um, all jokes aside, though, I don't regret my degree choice. Um, I think it really helped heal me a little even more. Um, it really helped me be vulnerable and kind of like put myself out there in a way that I hadn't before. 
um, because music can be very stressful. I mean, as much as we want to be like, it is a beautiful expression of human, of humanity. Um, the need to be perfect and to like have everything, like there's no wiggle room. And to a degree, I mean, if we're talking about ballet, et cetera, there's that need to be perfect kind of ingrained in there. But especially classical music, there was just a lot of pressure to be like, it has to be played in this way. This is the style. You want to be exi- as exact as possible. So, um, and today in this day and age with all of that background, um, I'm really interested. I still do a lot more with movement and dance than I do with music. Um, but I'm trying to really merge the two because I find it very fascinating and interesting just how we as humans create art with our body whether we adorn our body with you know things created but really just like the palette the artistic palette of (laughs) the human body um you know whether it's voice whether which I did have to learn how to sing in college I'm not saying it was fun (laughs) I'm glad I did now but you know being a very scared skittish you know young adult, we'll say, um, did not enjoy it at the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like human voice, dance, just really like what we can really do with our body and all body types, regardless of how able-bodied or um, what's... Differently abled. Abled, yes. I was like, what are, it's like, excuse me, no matter what your able-ism situation is, Um, And I think I really appreciate that, especially within dance, is the amount of, you know, in music, depending on what you do, your medium really depends, you know, are you an instrumentalist, are you this, but like, especially in dance, they've really embraced um, all different spectra, all different kinds of abledism, if you want to call it that, and I don't like how I phrased it, but I mean, there's kinds of ability. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, if you're in a wheelchair, you can dance. If you are missing an arm, you can still dance. Like there's companies, professional companies that have devoted their entire repertoire and their entire time to really showing that you can do this no matter where you are um, physically. And at the same time, it's been a very welcoming community, no matter when you get started. I always tell people, if you want to dance, just the hardest part is just going and doing it. But the, co- but the community has always been very welcoming. There's always beginning classes. You can be whatever age, kind of really listening to your body. And people are very like, you can't do this. That's like, you can't bend your back, you know. <laughs> to a 90 degree far- angle. To 90 degree. That's okay. Um, do what you can or modify, modify. Because, you know, your body's your paintbrush. You can't. I can't just dip it in another color and be like, great, I can do this now. With cross-training and blah, 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 we can argue. But, like, you know, no matter where you're at, that's where you're at. Human voice and everything, they're just very... When we're talking about using the human body, it's just a very intimate and vulnerable thing to use because it is really... You're using your body, no matter your... You know, like, wherever you are in life at that moment in time to really create something and put yourself out there. Um, and if you've never done a piece in nude... There's nothing more vulnerable than being on a stage, having the gaze in general or the spectatorship looking at you. Um, And it's very uncomfortable at first, but you get used to it. And you just kind of go along. I did a whole, I remember I was in two pieces back to back once for this show. And I literally had to like strip naked 
in the back and have people help you get dressed. And it's just that thing of like, okay, clothes off, clothes on. And you have, you know, five minutes to do it. So you're like <laughs> ripping off this very ornate costume to put this less ornate costume on, thank goodness. But you're just like ripping layers off, being like off, 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 off. Um, and so I feel that, yeah, that's just what I'm kind of exploring right now. I'm really just trying to figure out what's next um Were artistically you in for nutcracker me last year or was that the year before oh definitely not last year i we have to it's funny because the pandemic years we almost like pretend they I don't know, they all feel like one massive year of awfulness and we feel like it hasn't almost been three years um oh <laughs> we're coming up on three um i thought it was two well Eric, 19 20 21 <laughs> Well, you know, 19 really didn't count because it was like the end, COVID-19, because it's like December into January. So we are two, but we're about to start year three is really what. So you're right. It's two, but we're about to, anyways. But so yes, it's been about two to three years ago I was doing the Nutcracker, um, which was lovely. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It's always great to work with young dancers and kind of show them how you can totally make a huge mistake or a little flip up on stage and just keep rolling with it and you didn't die. And once again, just like we were saying, you didn't die, you didn't die, you just kind of keep going. It's like, okay, next scene, like, doesn't matter what happened. You fall, you got back up, move on. Like, you just kind of have to constantly move through it. And that's really life. You have to constantly move through it. How did you come to dance? Dance came to me in a dream. Uh, no. Uh <laughs> I see Queen Mab hath been with me. <laughs> right um that's a great question because I was you know music theater I mean I did it all you know I did music and theater growing up and you by theater the I mean like music for when we did uh a Midsummer's Night Dream and I did it for the Tempest for the high school oh I forgot you did it for the Tempest uh, um yeah uh <laughs> it's been a while yeah it's been a while um and then, of course, I was the always so helpful stagehand, let's be honest. And I did some improv nights. But so I was always in art in some way, shape, or form. Um, dance was just something I did because of the need to move my body, which I know sounds weird, but it's just like this innate feeling that I needed to like move my body and just do it. And so it, I probably started like dabbling. And I say dabble because it was a dabble. I started dabbling in dance type stuff around like 19 to 20 and actually I really started dabbling when I was dating someone who was teaching dance um and if this individual listens to this podcast good for you um that'd be (laughs) that'd be great congratulations but you know when you're and that really gave me kind of that confidence and when I say confidence I mean very loose confidence to kind of be like this is something that's doable but I really enjoyed it um it was probably like I mean, who else takes you on a date and goes, we're just going to go and we're going to dance the tango and blah, blah, blah. And amazing. Um, probably still, I've had a lot of good dates. Everyone else who I either have or am currently seeing, you're great too. But this is still, <laughs> we're talking, you know, in generalizations. Um, but it was one of the best dates I've been on because it's like you don't, you get so connected with someone so fast. Like there's just so, you know, so much intimacy right away because it's like you're dancing with someone um and so that really started me on that journey and then I dabbled for a few years and then I said okay I'm gonna get a little bit serious about this and then suddenly and without warning I am (laughs) 
back in school majoring in dance and graduated as the um what do they call it some form of prestige it's a distinguished graduate or something like that Mm -hmm. for the dance program and it was amazing and I regret nothing so anyone who says you should do science or business and you want to do an art do art um because we need more it's not glamorous like be real with you it's not glamorous um you have to make tough decisions all the time about what jobs to take, what jobs you can't, and you kind of have to also be comfortable working most likely a day job or a night job, depending on just availability and stuff. There's just a lot of that where it's like, you know, talk to some people. If you know some artists, talk to them and make sure the lifestyle is going to be right for you. Um, I definitely work a full-time day job, and then art is like my little love child on the side that I just kind of do what I can. And it also depends on, like, Unfortunately, the U.S. is not set up for the arts and especially dance when it comes to just finances and blah, blah, blah. And so it gets a little, it gets a little rough um, when you start thinking about, like, insurance, which we should get rid of, and government should just pay for everything. Uh, <laughs> we pay them enough. Jesus. But we'll talk, once again, we can talk about insurance reform later. Um, <laughs> very opinionated on that. But there's just a lot of things that you just don't, you know that people just don't talk about. And I think there's a huge trope, especially with artists and you hear it all the time. I finally had to give up everything and just go 110% into my art for it to finally pan out. And I think that's a huge trope. And then basically it's like, yes, you can work really hard and, and get really far, but there's also a ton of other stories where people have done that and it hasn't worked out exactly how they pictured it. And then eventually end up hating their art. So, and just kind of quit. So I think it's very much of a balancing act of like, you can take time off from your art, come back to your art, which I think is super healthy. But yeah, being an artist is hard. <laughs> Most stories, artists don't get enough money, enough pay, and especially in our country, it's just not set up to really support artists of any kind. You kind of have to unfortunately make it work for yourself. And hopefully that changes, and we're working on changing that. But until then... Unfortunately, we have to work within the system while trying to change the system. It's kind of awful, but we're making it. (laughs) Yeah, one step at a time, right? One step at a time. Do you find that your identity as a gay person really impacts your dance or what jobs you accept as a dancer or things like that? I know how to be a straight male very well. (laughs) Just saying, most of the roles I end up getting cast in are the straight male going after the female protagonists all throughout college it was a lot of that and our very think, own neil patrick's harris in the video call right here right and a lot of you know my professional experience as well has been about that not that there's much but there's some professional experience and i'm going to hold on to it as long as possible um and so there's just a lot of times where i think it it almost makes you in a way I became very good at trying to be the straight male in my real life and when i pulled off that you know that outfit I can just pull him back out every once in a while and be like yes let's do this but I think it does I think it really gave me a different lens to kind of look at dance and gave me a different lens to kind of really critique um and dance has gotten a lot better in the past few years as other gay male dancers have kind of been like where's our stuff and same thing with um women as well they're like why don't we do any partnering why don't we don't you know like really trying to tell different stories besides the same ones which may I add in ballet for example is terrible it's always a man with a lot of money who doesn't want any women but he wants something mythical he cannot have or it's the nutcracker 
I mean, the Nutcracker is a coming of age story. We can, you can argue all you want, but it is a coming of age. It is a giant wet dream. <laughs> and I appreciate that about it. God. I mean, it is. It depends on how you look at it, but really, it is a, it's a you know, young girl's coming of age story. And yes, you get the magic of the camera being like she's. And depending on the adaptation, either she transforms into she goes from a girl to a woman, or she the kids stay kids, but then they're looking at you know these adults playing. But really, it's like that's what it is. And now we celebrate that every. Christmas season, which I think is kind of beautiful, honestly. We, we celebrate this coming-of-age story every Christmas. But you really, you know, depends on how you want to look at it. But that's how I've always looked at it and how I interpret it and how and a lot of people agree with me as well, <laughs> um, for the record. Uh, but I think that's just one of those things where you're just like, Swan Lake's another one. You have a guy who's told you need to marry. He turns 16, I think. His mom says go find someone and marry her right now. And he goes, I don't want to. I want to be a free-spirited man forever. I'm going to go hunt. So he takes his crossbow he just got, goes hunting, finds this groups of swans. One, you know, the Odette turns into a woman. He goes, I can have any woman I want. I'm royalty. But no, I want that. And then within five seconds of seeing her, he wants to pledge his love to her, which happens all the time. All the time. It's like, I've known you for two minutes. I love you and pledge my love for you forever. And you're like, she just popped out of a freaking lake. You weren't like, hmm, that swan just turned into a person. I might want to double rethink this. He, they want things that aren't human and mythical and unattainable. And I think that's the story of our heteronormal society for men. It's like you get the world on your platter and you still want this unattainable thing that you've also created because patriarchy is weird like that. Men, you're failing yourself <laughs> because you're creating standards you can't live up to as well as you've failed yourself and our parent. Anyways, once again, I could go on forever. I need to start my own podcast. Side table that topic. Um, you're right. How I view the world. Um, and so I find that to be very problematic in a sense. And like I said, I've been asked to play. And I've also been told by choreographers before that's like, no, like, think more manly. And usually that's a nice way of them saying less gay. Um, <laughs> and it is. It's how you hold yourself and it's how you like blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I want to be like, but I'm gay. You know that. I'm gay. I'm here. I'm dancing this part. I, I had to be... I wrote an underwear I signed. Right. Derek Lorzell. I'm gay. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and you know. But, it, and I understand what they're looking for. And I'm like, okay, yes, more manly. Right away, sir. <laughs> Excuse me. Because I've had to play like matadors and stuff. Like after, you know, the concubines and blah 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 and like the lusty ladies who were fawning for your attention and you know and they want that you know over machismo thing going on which eludes me still but I try um but yeah we really do want to see more you know like love stories between LGBTQ plus people like there's no and why don't we have you know and beyond that it's like it's not we can look beyond monogamy we can look beyond all that it's like, why don't we have a love triangle that's not toxic, which exists, or a love square or pentagon or whatever you're, you want to do in life, you know, however you, you find fulfillment in your relationships. And I think we're going to find it. We will find it eventually. But I think art has also been really awoken by all the 
political, um, social, economical. I mean, it always is, right? I mean, you know, like, exactly. It's like, and luckily, in, in a good way, the pandemic woke a ton of people up to issues we were all aware of, especially surrounding race, which, once again, I'm not an expert in, and that we could discuss this another time. We side table, um, and I'd rather have somebody who experiences it actually discuss this topic. It's not for me to put words into someone else's mouth about an issue that I do not face on a daily. Um, but but you know, we stand with you, and yes. we'll elevate your voices. So if you want to be exactly, on, email I'd rather me. elevate a voice than try and speak for a group of people that I have no right speaking for. But that, and then people realize how little they're getting paid. So you're looking at way, like. But then people are like, oh my gosh, there's this whole, like, world that we can finally pay attention to, and there's these issues, and what, how have we not known this? And it's like, it's not new. I'm telling you that right now, it's not new. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's not new. We just have a lot of extra time on our hands to pay attention with. Exactly. You just, you have idle hands um, and idle minds, which is great. And it, so I think that's... The, it unfortunate it took a pandemic for people to go, oh, shit, this is real. This isn't just some, like, one-off. It's like, no, it happens more often than you'd like to believe in all respect of all different. If you're a minority, it's like, look to your minority people because while you believe majority that you are the majority, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> the minorities come together. We can upright. No, I'm just, well, but really, coalition building, but we're not going to... We don't need don't to. Don't rub them in on the gay agenda, Derek. We talked about this oh. in the last meeting. <laughs> You're right. My bad. <laughs> um, Derek, this but, has been so much fun. Yes. I miss your face all the time. <laughs> I miss you too. It's been nice to kind of like have some time off to just kind of go, oh, we can just talk about random stuff. And we stopped talking about D&D a long time ago. And I hope that's okay. Oh, yeah, that's totally fine. The interview part is like. D&D a bit, or whatever game we're playing. Your identity, right. your art, whatever else comes up. <laughs> whatever other topics come up along the way. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of, it is time for the final question. <gasps> the final question I know nothing about because I'm a terrible friend and don't listen to your podcast. Let's do this. <laughs> um, I don't listen to podcasts in general, but that's I'm not the point. I'm so far behind on mine. Like, I... Ever since I started subbing and I work every weekday, it's I'm so hard. Far, it, far behind. It's hard working a full-time job to pay your bills and make ends meet and then try and do side projects and art. And you're also, you have the wagon, which I was like, how do you have so much energy and time? I'm barely like making it through. <laughs> to be fair, the wagon started in the summer when I only had a job for June and a job for August. I and now you're like, I've started July. this love... I've started this project, and now i got to keep it going. <laughs> yeah, well, the farmer's market ends um, end of October, so I'm almost there. Well, good. And two-thirds of my car is full of books because this wonderful group of teachers that gave me my first huge donation gave me another huge donation, filled the entire back of my car. So. Yay. Yeah, so I know it's plenty great. of books to give to the children. The children. children. The minds. Yeah, I'm out of adult books, but that's fine. They don't go as fast as the kids' books anyway. Right. And, and do you do donation? Do you do, like, monetary donation or anything for that for you to, like, purchase books? Yeah. Uh, so I accept cash at the farmer's market. Um, and then I also have an Instagram for the wagon. 
Um, I don't know if I'm going to leave this in the episode or not, but whatever. Uh, I mean, this is for me to know, honestly. I just, I'm curious. I was like, and now I'm going to interview you. (laughs) Mads is determined that they're going to make a um, Call of Cthulhu one-shot for me so that I can be a Mm -hmm. guest on my own show and they're going to run the episodes. That'd be awesome. I'd love that. It sounds really fun. But yeah, um, the the book wagon has its own Instagram. Uh, It is Matilda's underscore book underscore wagon just like that um and there's also a donation link on the instagram that people could donate money to and any donations i get goes towards buying more books awesome well good the more i know (laughs) uh final question you were not escaping the final question darn it okay go (laughs) what advice do you have for any queer folks who want to get into tabletop role-playing games there's a community for you. I like to believe there's an easy way to find it. Um, I've been out of it for so long, but there is community. I mean, our entire table group was like, well, your family, Ryan, and just a bunch of like us outliers who didn't fit into really the mainstream of anything. Um, and I think the best way to find community is a ask your friends if they can play everyone thinks D is a deep dark secret you hide from everyone but let me tell you people will talk to you about it um you know what's funny it's really not anymore i know I it's say not i play D in front of a group of kids and they get all excited and they're like you have to run a game for the whole class i'm like no right i know people do the same now i'm like okay used to we used to say we played D and people are like losers um <laughs> and it's not like that anymore which i love sorry um, i interrupted that's okay but i really feel that do it finding community i mean online great there are people who constantly are running especially with you know another great blossom of this pandemic if you can say that um if we want to look for a silver lining here is that there's so many online people who are playing looking for people to play uh, i'm sure there are lgbtq plus games based fully on that kind of you won't be playing a heteronormative game, which is sometimes really refreshing because it gets really old. But, and the other thing is to do is like, if you're college age, go to the clubs. And by the clubs, I don't mean the dance clubs. Those are fun. But I mean like, go, there is a D&D club on your campus. I promise you. And if there's not, you need to start one right away. Um, <laughs> but every college campus, there's a, there is a club. And usually there's a bunch of people. They all get together. You know, you can join whatever smaller group you want, depending on how big it is. I mean, the larger colleges will have, like, multiple groups of people playing games. But if it's a small one, then at least you have somewhere. But I think the most important part is get started. All you need is a player's handbook. Most of the time, you can get that online. Or somebody will just gift you one. Um, <laughs> and, but really, 5th edition is so approachable. It's like, if you want to get started, do it. Find a group. If it's not the right group, and I'm gonna, it's like dating, to be brutally honest. Oh my god, so you true. You might find a group, and it might even be an LGBTQ plus group, and you might be like, this is the group, and then they start playing, and you just don't like, you don't jive, you don't like the playing style, you don't like the DM. Just because they're community does not mean that they're going to be the right community members for you. And so, and you have to, and you know, have the ability to give yourself those boundaries and borders of saying like, sorry, this, you know, this has been great, it's not, you know... I'm going to keep looking for another group. But unfortunately, starting somewhere, I think, is the most important thing. Um, 
you might have to play a few heteronormative games, and I'm sorry, but at one of them, you'll then one day find someone who understands you in a way that the others don't. (laughs) And then you can kind of, you know, never put yourself in danger. I mean, I've definitely played games where I was like, I will never come back to this table again. I will never play this again. I have a story that I'm not saying on this podcast, but I think Derek knows which one I'm talking about. I think so too. I think we share a very similar story, (laughs) Ryan. Um, Like I said, and sometimes you have to remove yourself. So always feel free to remove yourself from groups that don't. So we're going to bullet point this because I'm talking in circles. Step one, do it. Absolutely positively. If this is something you're interested in, you want to, you know, be immersed in your own fantasy world. You want to play, do your own. Uh, Let's start. Let's start listing everyone. Lord of the Rings. What is what was it? Dragon's Fable. I want to say. Um, oh, Dragon Fable! Oh my God! All the other fantasy books that you might have grown up when you were younger. It's like if you want to like immerse and have your own story, and you're not a, exactly a writer, you don't have to write your own book. That's my biggest draw. I don't mind writing, but I don't want to write a, a book. So that's why I play D anD D, because you get to be a part of it. But really, go find community, whatever that looks like. And then really finding the group. And you will find a core group. It just takes time. Um, sometimes you luck out. I do know people w- that I've played with where they're like, I have never played with anyone else. This has been great. And I know other people are like, I had to try quite a few groups before I found a group that I really jived with. It felt cohesive. I know I had a friend who just had to leave a group because they had there was a player that they just didn't jive with. And they said, nope, I'm, I'm out. Like, thank you for having me, but I'm not going to come back to the next session. And that's okay. Um, but yeah, that's my advice is just get started, do it. It's going to probably be a little uncomfortable, especially as you're learning the rules, stick with it. People will definitely help you. And if they don't want to help you, that's not the group for you. And kind of just, you know, you will have characters die. That's a normal part. There's something freeing and ripping up a character sheet. I promise you. (laughs) Or just tuck the character sheet away and rename them later. That's also a very valid strategy and one we've all used. Or you're like, I'm playing this in with another game then. And you take your character elsewhere. It's true and it saves you time, honestly, especially if you always play the same build. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll probably play a lot of different classes, find what works for you. Um, Don't be afraid. I've never had anyone, no matter where I've gone, I've never had anyone question me playing a female character. No one. Um, I'm not saying that's going to be, I'm lucky in that sense. I've never played a game in college where someone was like, why are you playing a female character? That's so weird. And I think the easiest thing, if you want to play a character of a different gender, no matter what the gender is or isn't, the easiest way around that question when someone comes to you and says something like that, that you just go, yeah, what's your point? And usually they don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> Most people won't be like, well, it's weird. And then you just constantly, if you just constantly question them of like, well, why is it weird? And they're like, well, because you're a guy. And it's like, yeah, and why can't I play a female character? And usually you find out that it's A, sexist, B, sometimes it can be racist. Um depending if they're also questioning different things about your character. Uh, And so there's just a nice little, you just kind of play the Socratics, you know, use the Socratic method and just ask the question. And that's a way of like getting around that. But like I said, I've never had anyone question me. I mean, I've had, I've actually played games where like big, burly, like straight guys have played like the most petite female characters. And I'm like, of course I'm living for it to be brutally honest, but, (laughs) but no one usually ends up questioning. Um, but it's all about finding that group. And unfortunately, there's no quick way of doing that. It is, like I said, like dating. <laughs> Derek, I love you so much. I love you too. This has, this been, has been so lovely. Good. <laughs> um, 
And like I said, we're going to have you back at some point to collect yes. Derek and his 16 pieces of advice right at the end. We'll do it again. Um, yes. <laughs> I think you said that and you don't have anything to plug right now. I don't. I have lots of little projects that I'm kind of working on, but nothing's really like up and running so I'm still holding my cards abreast essentially mm -hmm. until I make sure it's more concrete and more solidified I always hate plugging things that don't come to fruition and sometimes there are outside factors you haven't thought of yet and I'm afraid of some of those outside factors that aren't once something has been like born and out into the world then I'm like let's plug um but things will be happening hopefully by the next time I'm here whenever that is I will have stuff to plug yeah but if not like I'm always here just to talk and you know give great life advice i guess i don't know i'm happy to talk about my life more um questions comments concerns um i'm always willing to like address what i can i'm not bashful by any means um when it comes to that type of stuff yeah. i'll check into you into you in with you uh when i'm closer to i mean i'm practically a hotel so but have, we don't need to talk about that yeah uh, <laughs> if you have anything to plug at that time i'll Sounds stick it good. in the description and thank you all for listening to yes. Derek and me play and catch up, honestly. And I know, really? It was like us catching up. Sorry, everyone, you're getting a little insight into our lives, but... We don't talk enough is the long and we short don't. of it. Um, so what happens when you become an adult. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately. Yeah, I, I will see all you lovely listeners next time on The Game is Afoot. Bye! like to check out Zoe Hovland. Uh, her Facebook is linked in the description. She is available for commissions and we love her here. Derek is on Instagram at Derek.makes.dances. That is Derek D-E-R-E-K and we love him as well. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please email me at thegameisafootpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me at TGIAPodcast on Twitter. I have the same account for Instagram as well, but let's be honest, I don't use it very much. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye! Be gay! Roll dice! An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network. One moment. I'm going to pause. Um, Matthew, darling, dear. Hi, Matthew. Sweetie. Ryan says hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs>